What if healing cancer didn't have to be so overwhelming and confusing? What if you could access a higher level of consciousness to accelerate healing? And what if you had a clear roadmap to follow, a path to lead you out of the fear and uncertainty? Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Deming. As an oncologist who's cared for thousands of patients, let me guide you safely through the fog. My Six Pillars of Healing Cancer workshop series is now available, and it's not too late to join. Choose from a range of powerful workshops, each designed to support your healing journey, covering nutrition, emotional well-being, hydration, physical practices, the mind-body connection, and spirituality. Select only the workshops that align with you, or for a limited time, buy the entire bundle and enjoy significant savings. Don't miss this proven holistic roadmap to clarity and deep inner calm to support your healing process. Check the link in this episode's description to learn more and sign up today. Remember, you've got this. You're listening to the Born to Heal podcast with Dr. Katie Deming. On today's episode, I am taking you behind the scenes with my recent TED Talk. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Thank you so much for your patience as I took a couple months away from this podcast. It's been a really busy time for me, and to demonstrate that I practice what I preach, I took some time off from this project, the podcast, so I could be fully present as I prepared for my TEDx talk and as I cared for my mom. Um, Many of you don't realize this, but this podcast is not something I get paid to do. It's simply a way for me to serve and to share what I know with those of you who are looking for information about healing. And even though some people say it's risky to take time off from a podcast because I could lose listeners, I know that I must take care of myself and make decisions like this in order to continue to serve over the long term. Through my 20-year-long career in a service profession like medicine, I've learned that I must take care of myself and set boundaries first in order to be able to give to others. And this is actually an important point for anyone listening to this podcast. You too must set boundaries to make sure you don't deplete yourself. Otherwise you will have nothing to give. And on this note, one of my mentors shared this with me And I think it's really valuable, and I'm going to share it with you because I think that it's a helpful analogy to think about. But he said that you cannot give 50 cents to someone if you don't first have a dollar yourself. And this is true not just for money, but in energy as well and and what we give in terms of service. We all have a finite amount of time and energy. And if we run ourselves into the ground doing things without remembering to take care of ourselves first, we'll end up depleted and worse off than the people we're trying to help. So it's taken me a long time to actually practice this principle of taking care of myself first, but it's now part of who I am. And though, although I've wanted to be here with you and continue sharing on the podcast, I knew I needed to take a little break. And I hope you too will remember this principle the next time you realize you may 
have just a little too much on your plate. You need to remember that you are always in charge of your life and you can choose to take something off your plate, even when people tell you it's not a good idea. And with that, I want to say thank you for being patient and for hanging around, even when I disappeared for a little bit. I don't anticipate that happening again, but it was kind of a culmination of multiple things happening in my life all at the same time. And I knew I couldn't do justice to everything if I continued going at that rate. But the most exciting news that I want to share with you is that my TEDx talk was recently published on YouTube, and uh, we'll have a link to the talk in the show notes, but you can find it on YouTube by searching by searching Katie Deming TED Talk. The title of the talk is How to Talk to Someone with Cancer. And this was my very first uh, TEDx talk. And I have to say that it was a harrowing experience. I love speaking, but most of my experience has been giving medical lectures that are anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes long. And a TED talk is a very short format. It was only 12 minutes, my TEDx talk, and it's more storyteller storytelling than lecture. And I had no idea how challenging it was going to be to prepare this talk, to write the talk, to give it. And when you only have 12 minutes to speak on a complicated topic, literally every word matters on that. Matters. Um, Every word matters. Excuse me. And on top of that, the entire talk needs to be memorized, but come off as if it's conversational. And so the preparation for this talk was literally the most rigorous process I have ever been through in my life. And I've done a lot of rigorous things. Um, But I think the kicker was that I got COVID 12 days before my talk and literally could not stand, sit up, or speak to practice the talk. I was really sick. And literally all I could do is visualize the words in my head and imagine myself giving the talk on stage. Fortunately, two days before the talk, I was finally able to stand and give the talk in an upright position and tested negative on that day so that I was able to fly and travel to the event. But (laughs) it was insane. The whole process was so just rigorous. And then to have this happen at the end was a very interesting experience. But in some ways, I actually think that it helped me. Number one, I teach here visualization of what you want, right? So imagining the outcome that you want. And literally the only thing that I could do for those 10 days that I was face down in bed was imagine myself giving the talk. And so I, again, got to practice what I preach. And because I had done all the prep work before, and then just by sheerly imagining myself and memorizing the words in my head, I was able to give that talk, which 12 minutes of memorized information or content, um, it's a lot. And so (laughs) Fortunately, all of that came off without a hitch and I'm happy with the way the video has turned out. And I, 
you know, I wasn't sure how this talk would go over with audiences. Um, it's a topic that I feel passionate about the language that we use to speak to someone who is healing, but I wasn't sure if it would resonate with the audience. Um, but I have to say that the response to the talk, both from the live audience of a thousand people in Reno and now that it has been posted online has been incredible. I've had so many people reach out to me and say that they appreciate me standing up to say that the status quo of the language in cancer is not working. Um, and what is interesting is that before I had a patient bring up the fact that she hated the word survivor, and actually that is kind of the the starting point of this talk is that I was in a leadership position, so I was running the cancer service line for Kaiser Permanente and was um, meeting with my cancer-specific patient advisory council. And these this was a group of patients in their family members or caregivers who advised me on how to revamp the cancer program. And I was meeting with them one day and we were talking about survivorship and survivorship is the title that is given to programs that care for people with cancer after they've finished active treatment. And one of the patients told me how much she disliked the word survivor. And I've really had no idea. And, um, and then it turned out that she wasn't the only one who felt that way, that many people on this advisory council also felt that way and led me into researching the term survivor. Um, and then ultimately taking a deeper look at language in general in the cancer space and how we speak to, um, our patients and how we speak to each other. And, is the language that we're using healing. So if you haven't watched the talk, I encourage you to go watch it because it really is giving a different perspective on the language that we use um, in cancer. And I've been so pleasantly surprised by the response. And both from my colleagues in medicine, nurses, physicians, um, people who are working in the cancer space, um, serving people with cancer as well as people with cancer themselves. And I wasn't sure because sometimes when you go against the grain and you bring up a topic in a new and different way, there can be pushback. And, and I'm open to that because you know what? I think when we start to talk about things in a different way, I expect people to disagree with me and, and I welcome that. But I've been surprised that so many people um, agree with or resonate with the message that was shared in this talk. And, and really my goal with this talk was to stop us and say, okay, is the language that we are using in the cancer space, productive, helpful, and healthy. So that's the first thing is like just having people, bring awareness to the language that we're using. And then what people do with it is 100% up to them. But I wanted to stop people and to have them think about it. Okay, we're using these words. These words have just been given to us. I don't think that the language has been um, developed 
maliciously or that there was any malintent. And in fact, the term survivor that started this whole, um, you know, conversation and then study that ultimately led to my TED talk, the person who came up with that word, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's a physician who actually had cancer himself. And he was recognizing a need that in the cancer space, we needed to address all of the aspects of someone's life after cancer. So that there's seasons, the way he described it was that there were seasons of survivorship. And then ultimately the word survivor and survivorship were adopted, you know, kind of widely to say widely is like a understatement. It basically is everywhere in cancer care. We've adopted these words that now unfortunately have unintended consequences. And I know that the intention behind the initial development of the word survivor and survivorship was not with mal intent. It was with good intent. But I think whenever we start using a single label to describe millions of people with so many different conditions, so cancer, even one type of breast cancer, one type of breast cancer is not the same as another type of breast cancer and someone's stage is different. And when you lump everyone with cancer, every stage, curable, non-curable, you know, All of that together, you're asking for problems, right? We can't label such a diverse group of people with one term. And, you know, one of the things that people ask is, well, then what do you use instead? And in the talk, I talk about this, but I don't recommend that we choose one label or, you know, adopt a set of words to talk about this. I think that people get to choose their own label, right? And the way that I think about it is if I'm seeing a patient, I use the labels that are meaningful for them. If someone wants to be called a survivor and that is meaningful for them, I will use that term, but otherwise I don't use it. And I think, you know, we get into this like, well, how are we going to categorize people? Well, the truth is we don't need to put people in these nice little boxes that we want to make things look pretty and, um, have it fit, you know, in some little, um, package that, that makes sense. I think people are complex and, and also cancer is an experience that some people want to move through and, and not have a title attached to that. And I think that that makes sense. So I'm excited that the talk is out there. I also talk about battle language. So terms like fight, win or lose, these are all things that have become very common in the cancer space. And, um, you know, it's common everywhere because this kind of language sells. So politicians use it, right. When they want to get people behind them, they say like the war on drugs or the war on terror. And like, when you use these more war metaphors, it can get people all like worked up and, um, motivated and, and vigilant. But the problem is when you're healing, you want the opposite of that. You don't want people amped up and in fight or flight. You want them calm and in a state of peace. And so this is what I talk about um, on the TED Talk as well, um, is that we're, when we're using these language, when we're using these words, um, it can have detrimental physiologic effects on us that we are not intending. And 
for some people, actually, it can be real, really helpful. So in Jeffrey Redinger's book, Cured, he talks about one man who battle metaphors actually really motivated him. And for him, it didn't incite fear and, and he used them and, and that was great for him. So great. You know, this is the other thing, the message that I want to share is that I'm not saying any of these words are bad. I'm just saying, think about it and, and think about what it's doing for you. When you use these words, when you use battle metaphors, is it amping you up or is it getting you into fear that may be harming your ability to heal. And so I'm excited to be back. I'm excited the TED Talk is out. And I am making some big shifts um, in my career that I will share on the next episode. But I'm really excited for what's coming and how I will be able to serve you in an even bigger and more robust way. So take care of yourself. And I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Okay. Take care. Hey, this is Dr. Katie Deming and thank you for listening to the born to heal podcast. If you've gotten value from today's episode, I'd love for you to share it with your friends and loved ones. Help me create more impact around the world. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram or Facebook and visit katiedeming.com for more information on how to work with me.